Hey, welcome to Being Creative. My name is Rick Leaf, as you know, and I'm the host of this show. <laughs> Today, we're going to dive into the deep end right off the bat. No life preservers, no water wings, no adult supervision, just us. Taking a moment to look in the mirror and ask a little forward question. What's it all about? And I'm not sure I know, or maybe recent events have finally helped me figure it all out. But uh, whatever the case may be, I'm glad you're here. What's it all about for you? What's life all about? And I'm asking because I just had another experience this week where life started to slip away and the end started to draw closer. And this question was really the only question. What's it all about? Did, did I do good? <laughs> do I regret anything? <laughs> do I regret everything? Or it's just something. <laughs> but then when life's tenacious grip held on and I clambered from that hospital bed and the tubes were pulled out of my stomach and electrical wires were disconnected from stick-on sensors and the IV machines were wheeled away and I slowly walked out into the sun on a brisk Wednesday morning, it was the only question that mattered. What's it all about well this seems like it might turn out to be an emotional episode doesn't it <laughs> and if you know me at all you know that that's just fine by me if you are uncomfortable um you best avert your your attention i don't know um I got home from the hospital and I was sitting there probably in the sunroom reading and uh, oh, like something online and uh, I came across this quote. I'm going to read it as it is and then I'm going to change uh, a word. Uh, the quote itself says, your position and your title don't make you a leader. Leadership has nothing to do with social status, your bank account or where you reside. It's all about one life inspiring and motivating another to become the best version of themselves. So uh, one of those leadership kind of uh, threads that I follow, uh, great quote, sure for that. But the way I was reading it was changing leader and leadership just into being about life. So if I read it, it would be your position and your title doesn't make your life. Life has nothing to do with your social status, your bank account, or where you reside. It's all about inspiring and motivating another to become the best version of themselves. And, you know, if Saturday had been my last day on earth, how did I spend it? And what, if anything, would I change knowing what I know now? Well, I spent what could have been my last day 
on a road trip with my son and his dodgeball team. They were playing at a tournament on the mainland. So we were up at 5, out the door at 5.30, met everybody at 6, jumped into a minivan and headed to Schwartz Bay to catch the 7 a.m. ferry. And, you know, the van is packed. Van was full of bantering and strategizing. And I, I played team sports in high school and college. I remember this. I've also toured my adult life in a band. So I know this collective energy. I love it. It's really fun. And I spent the day on the sidelines with my new uh, Insta360 Ace Pro action camera filming all of their games. And as the day wore on, I started feeling less and less well, but it seemed like nothing more than maybe mild indigestion from eating something that didn't agree with me. And then they were suddenly eliminated from playoffs and, and uh, the decision was made, let's just like race for the ferry and see if we can catch the five o'clock ferry. So by some miracle, we made it on to the five o'clock ferry. We were uh, just one of the last couple cars that got onto the island, uh, on the ferry returning to the island. And uh, thank God, because that was not a fun trip for me. Whatever's going on was getting worse. And so I kind of went off on my own. They were all just like decompressing and going blow by blow through all of the things that had happened in all these different games. So I went off on my own to find a more comfortable chair. And uh, But by the time my son and I got home, it, it was bad. It was bad enough to trigger a memory from two years earlier when I'd been also been on a road trip in northern BC and I'd had to call 911 and... That night, um, I like I left on that road trip two years ago. I left in the morning. It was two days that I was going to be driving up to northern BC for this contract, three-week contract. And I left in the morning feeling 100%, like 100%, not a, not a, nothing where you went, could look back and go, oh yeah, I, I remember I didn't feel maybe this or that. No, I felt great. And, you know, said goodbye, kissed my family goodbye, got on the vehicle, listened to some podcasts, drank some coffee and a muffin, and I barely made it to midnight. And I remember, you know, I, I, uh, I remember lying on the floor in this ho in a hotel room in, in a city called Williams Lake. And it'd been, I'd just been throwing up for hours. And I remember thinking, geez, you know, like this isn't food poisoning. And if I don't phone 911, I might not get out of this hotel room. And uh, next thing I know, I'm looking up in a doctor's face and he's like, Rick, we got to do emergency surgery. And I'm like, when? And he's like, as soon as the team gets here, I've already called them. So that was bad. And uh, that was two years ago. And uh, so this it was getting bad enough that it was triggering those memories. And, uh, and within, I'd say, three hours of getting home, I was calling 911 again. And I was being rushed to the ER again. And once again, the doctors saved the day. And, and as I lay there for the following days, um, if I was in my right mind, <laughs> I was laying there going, what, what is it all about? And here's my, my observation was, if it had been my last day, I would have spent it with my son. Sharing something he loves to do. 
with his friends and the people that are probably having the most impact on his life and he on them at this stage of his life. And so when I got out of the hospital, you know, I was weak, but I wasn't an invalid. And uh, so I spent the week playing with the footage from Saturday, which could have been my last day, making highlight reels, watching all those moments over and over again. And, you know, telling stories through video and music and sound design is something I love. So spending Saturday filming produced another gift. It was an opportunity for me to do what I love in the hopes that the video would inspire and motivate my son and his team uh, to be even better, for them to be celebrated, to build community within the broader, broader um, dodgeball community for them. And, and that was why that, that quote, you know, life isn't about positions and titles and it has nothing to do with social status and bank accounts or where you reside it's it's about life is about inspiring and motivating another to become the best version of themselves and that's what my son and his friends were doing with each other they're you know strategizing and they're going through it and they're exhorting each other and i loved you know as they're driving to the ferry we're racing through traffic and and they're all just like, what was they're asking each other around the van. Everybody's got to go around the van. And it's like, what was your best day? What's your best memory? What's your best moment, you know, for you? And, and they're all sharing this. And I was like, man, this is really like, this is amazing. And it's awesome. And they're, they're pursuing the best versions of themselves individually and together. And it was, man, it was freaking awesome. And it made me think, you know, how so much of that other stuff you know a reason a quote like this even exists is because positions and titles seem like that's what makes leaders for many people or it seems what life is all about people pursuing you know that that position that's supposed to make them happy or god forbid the social status and and the amount of money that you make or whatever and then you get to the end and and i i to me i just feel like i had this profound moment it was like from the outside, you might say, oh my God, like if it had gone the other way and people said, oh my God, you know, Rick's gone. Um, what the heck was he doing on his last day on the planet? And it's like, oh, he was in a dodgeball tournament. It seems like that would be, well, I bet you he'd regret that, right? No, man. I think that was exactly where I should have been, doing exactly what I should have been doing. And how amazing. To be given a moment like that by life to realize <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good at this life. I think I figured it out. This isn't the uh, first time I feel like I figured it out <laughs> either. Um, if we went back a number of years ago now, um, my dad, man, he was a healthy dude. I hardly really remember him ever getting sick, hardly. But um, he got one of these weird cancers that float around in this world that we live in. And just very suddenly, this is years ago, Just he was just gone. And uh, like every, like I want to say everybody, and, and I don't know, you tell me if you think this is fair or not, but I feel like everybody has, you know, a plan, an idea, a dream, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to travel around the world. I'm going to jump out of a plane. I'm going to scuba dive. I'm going to build a house, whatever. Everybody's got some kind of a dream, something they say they're going to do. And I think many people 
um, don't actually mean that they're going to, you know, break that dream or that idea down into a vision and then, you know, break that vision down into a plan, you know, and what's the first step and what's the second step. I, I worked recently on a project where the, <laughs> one of the people on the project just loved ideas, loved, had, had a million of them and loved them. But uh, boy, they really resented the process that goes into that very thing about breaking down. Okay, so here's all the ideas. Let's organize them. Let's like stretch them out. Let's lay them out here. Let's figure out, you know, I'm just, you know, trying to help make some of these ideas come true. And uh, this person really resented that um, because it's a lot of work. And maybe I would have been like that too. I don't know. Um, but there was, my dad was suddenly gone and, you know, I wanted to do something amazing with my kids before they were too old, moved out, going on, whatever. And I've realized even back then, kids were 13 and nine, around something like that. I realized that there's never the perfect time of, you know, the day and age, uh, the age or the time of life, whatever. There's always like you're either climbing the, the, the corporate ladder, you're just establishing your career or you've established it or you finally got to a, a landmark or you're reaching even higher or you've started to make enough money that you've taken on more debt. And now you're, um, you know, it, it's everything just becomes more costly and more serious. And I've just realized, you know, there's, you just keep putting it off. And so we decided, no, I, I thought, you know, I've been sick. I've had lots of things going on in my life over the years. And I thought, <clears throat> what if I like, you know, what if I wait too long? I say someday, someday we're going to do this. Someday we're going to do that. What if I wait too long? And then something like that happens to me, like happened to my dad. So we sold our house and uh, we decided we're going to travel around the world for a year with our kids, which is what we did. And uh, I wrote a book about it called uh, Four Homeless Millionaires, uh, how one family found riches by leaving everything behind. And that's available in a number of different places, including Amazon and other places you can buy ebooks. But anyway, I want to read you a little bit of that because um, it was that experience, you know, the shortness of, of life. Uh, it was the reality of death um, that caused us to really invest in life and really invest in a life that, you know, was full of adventure and excitement. And so... Um, I just wanted to read this one little ridiculous episode. Um, ridiculous. I, the way I write it is ridiculous. It was just one of a million moments uh, that happened. But um, so my kids at this time are, are nine and 13. We haven't left Canada yet. We're about to because uh, we spent the first three months traveling across Canada in a van, just experiencing everything from coast to coast. And then we were going to take off. And once we took off, we were going to Hawaii, Malaysia, Australia, New Zealand, up to Europe, traveled around Europe for um, about three months. And we spent our last month in the UK. So here we are um, just at the end of our time in Canada. Uh, homeschooling isn't going well. Riel's grade four lessons make me feel like a dork. I can't even understand the directions in chapter one. The first page of Zion's grade eight English book uses words I've never even seen before. I keep looking at the cover, hoping I'm reading the French version. As Zara tries to decipher the school material, I've been organizing dry land training sessions with the kids. We load up our packs with a bunch of random crap and walk around in the cow pasture feeling like goofballs. 
Because I was going to make my kids travel around the world with their own backpack, right? So we have to practice that. You don't want that to be the first time in Heathrow or something. Tired of feeling like a failure, I spent the night creating a kick-ass lesson plan for tomorrow's field trip. And listeners, this is the part I was really wanting to run, um, read. Run! I yell over my shoulder as a surge of adrenaline launches my body into a, a spasmodic windmilling gallop as I stumble over railway tiles and loose shale. The long mournful train whistle is just starting to fade as I glance over my shoulder to see if Zion and Riel are still with me. My explosive admonishment startled them into motion and I'm thrilled to see that the three of us are scuttling over the une uneven terrain in unison, even if it's in a ragged single file zombie-esque kind of way. I dragged them out into the middle of an 80-acre canola field as part of a homeschooling project. Today, we're exploring descriptive writing. I brought them to a train trestle where I pictured them writing with such interpretive and descriptive detail their journals would transport readers back to this very moment for generations to come. I fantasize about my kids coming to me in their 20s and 30s, reminiscing about all the incredible scholastic experiences I provided for them. Without even knowing it, they've already started. I overhear a very de detailed narrative behind my back as they mutter about how stupid this project is. <sighs> Even with my delusions of grandeur, the last thing I thought we'd actually experience at the train trestle was a train. But another blast from the approaching engine spurs me on as I exhort even greater lurching speed from my reluctant students. Come on, Zai, Riel, you can do it. I managed to gasp, open-mouthed and panting. I've been running for over 25 seconds and the adrenaline has worn off. I'm dangerously short of breath and starting to hit the runner's wall. I'm not entirely surprised to discover Riel is cut back to a brisk stroll and Zion is half-heartedly loping as I charge wildly into a thicket of brambles. I claw and clamber my way up the steep slope, pausing to free the video camera in my pocket. More train blasts signal the imminent approach of the hundred-ton behemoth bearing down on our vantage point beside the tracks. This is shaping up to be possibly the greatest field trip ever. Poised at the end of the bluff, the ground begins to shake as the squeal of rust and iron rattle along the metal's spine while the train snakes its way past our class of three. Well over a mile long, it takes more than four minutes for the last car to pass. Both kids are snapping pictures of the paintings on parade as the graffiti gallery slowly slides by one boxcar at a time. The silence grows as the train passes from view. Riel looks over at me and says, I decided to climb up here on the bank because I thought this might be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. That's funny, I said. That's what I thought, too. We spend the next hour hiking around and across the trestle, examining the concrete and creosote construction, and in the process face fears of heights and vertigo as we gaze down through the cracks to the creek 100 feet below. With the Rocky Mountains visible to the west, we make an 80-acre field our classroom and sit down together under a god-sized prairie sky to write about what we're seeing, smelling, hearing, and feeling. After writing two lines, Riel claims writer's block. Just write about what you're seeing around you. I say, you could even write about the cows. What cows? She asks. The cow's right behind you. I say, shocked that an animal weighing several hundred pounds and separated by nothing more than 20 feet and three slim barbed wires could go undetected. 
turning her body less than 90 degrees, she's transformed into an archaeologist who had just stumbled upon a previously unknown ancient civilization. She's swept up in describing the gross, dirty white fur and stinky, ploppy poo patties. Suddenly, the pasture becomes a playground as the kids laugh and point at their bovine classmates, making up imaginary names for the cows that rhyme with bodily functions and work as clever lyrics for irreverent ditties. As we walk back down the train tracks to our van, basking in the glow of a bloody, brilliant field trip, I flippantly describe us as a, as a family of hobos. What's a hobo? Riel asked. Soon... We're embroiled in a fascinating discussion debating the subtle but significant distinctions between hobos, tramps, bums, vagabonds, and Zion's personal favorite, rubbies. As we freewheel it back down, back to the road with the canola stubble raking the metal underbelly of the van until it sounds like a torrential downpour coming up instead of down, the kids keep a running monologue going in the back seat. They're too distracted by their clever rhymes and rhythms to realize they've been caught up in the exhilarating experience of learning to tell their own story. Grinning like a Cheshire cat, I sit behind the wheel, basking in their dirty little limericks and my own discovery that right now, this is my life. And I love it. What's it all about? Well, the whole idea to me about being creative is this idea that we are unique in so many different ways. Uh, I can't, you know, I live in community, live in this house, community house. I am part of a artist collective. I, if I'm working on my own, it is still in the context of coming into communities or to schools and, and doing these team building and community building projects that involve hundreds of different people. So I am constantly surrounded by people who look at challenges and problems differently. And weekly, I come across situations where I, I know for a fact, and I'll usually say it, if, if you gave me a year, I wouldn't come up with that. I, I, I wouldn't come up with that solution. I couldn't, I wouldn't come up with that. Not that I couldn't, but I wouldn't because my talents, gifts, and abilities, experience, and education, and everything else that I use to describe what um, creative capital, you know, those, those tools and everything that we bring to problem solving and team building and conflict resolution and, and everything else, um, as we try to be innovative and, and solve the problems and challenges in our life, uh, mine are just unique and, and I see the world this way. Other people, man, the way your minds, the way your things work for you, completely different. So what's the point? What's it all about? Man, I think it's about having joy and in who you are and in that kind of unique creative process. And you being creative is going to look and sound and feel um, and produce uh, things that are completely different that I would never come up with. And I think that's beautiful. I was reading an article in The Guardian the other day, and I just want to jump into this one little part, part here. Um, some, this, so this is from the article, some psychologists believe our values 
tend to cluster around certain poles described as intrinsic and extrinsic. People with a strong set of intrinsic values are inclined towards empathy, intimacy, and self-acceptance. They tend to be open to challenge and change, interested in hum universal rights and equality, and protective of other people and the living world. People at the extrinsic end of the spectrum, spectrum are more attracted to prestige, status, image, fame, power, and wealth. They are strongly motivated by the prospect of individual reward and praise. They are more likely to objectify and exploit other people, to behave rudely and aggressively, and to dismiss social and environmental impacts. They have little interest in cooperation or community. People with a strong set of extrinsic values are more likely to suffer from frustration, dissatisfaction, stress, anxiety, anger, and compulsive behavior. <clears throat> now, you know how the, the, the first quote that I read at the beginning of this episode about leadership, and I kind of just changed it to being about life. I thought, you know, if I look at the experiences in my own life here in community, either in the community I live in, all of the people I, in this community house that uh, we've managed and lived in for the last 12, 13 years, um, close to 50 people have lived here with us over the years. Um, I've worked with just dozens and dozens of artists and toured with dozens of, of artists and dancers and musicians and, and um, over the years. So when I think of my experiences, I would say overwhelmingly the majority, I think, cluster around the intrinsic pole. People who are just more naturally, um, like if, if you're thinking about school, let's say for instance, most people have empathy and just, you know, want to accept themselves and their life and have some good friends, intimacy with some good friends, and they're empathetic to the challenges around them. Um, it's always those few, those bullies, a few people, just a, a couple that are motivated by, you know, power and prestige and status, and they're willing to exploit others and be rude and aggressive and aren't interested in cooperation and community. Like, I don't know your experience, but for me, most people, I think, are on the intrinsic uh, around that pole. But you think about what we're motivated by social media and the little computers walking around in our pockets day by day that are, um, the other day I was walking my dog through downtown Victoria and we were on our way along, you know, down by the ocean. And I, w it was just, I don't know, blew my mind. I'm, st <laughs> I'm crossing the road, a busy intersection, one of the busiest intersections, uh, and we're walking, you know, the light goes green. We start walking. This gentleman, older than me, is walking towards us 
so engrossed in his phone, he's wandering through, like he's not walking in a straight line through the crosswalk. He's kind of meandering, and I'm trying to figure out which side to go on until eventually he just wanders, sure enough, straight into me at the last minute. And I'm just like, what the... <laughs> I just decide like in his face, it's not rude to just like totally just be like incredulous, you grown, you know, middle-aged man, get your head out of your phone and walk across a busy intersection. There is literally no way that whatever he's on in that phone needs to be um, distracting him to such a degree. And I'm like, this is the kind of guy that's going to walk right in front of a truck and get hit. And they'll just be like, oh yeah, I was like this, you know, un totally unforeseeable, you know, accidents. Like, no, that totally made sense. Dude's walking around, literally buried up uh, to his eyeballs in his screen. I walk a little bit further, literally in the next block. I walk some ladies on her phone. There was a, the, the uh, sidewalk narrowed down where there was a, a bus stop. And so the bus shelter was kind of poking out, you know, taking up half of the, the, the sidewalk. And again, it's a busy road. So, you know, cars are whipping by on this other side. And she's just standing in the middle of this little narrow deal on her phone until I basically have to like, I'm walk right up to her personal space and look down at her and, and just like stare at her in her eyes as she's just like, oh, you know, comes out of whatever, you know, thread she's scrolling through to get out of the way so that the rest of the city can walk down the public sidewalk. Anyway, that happened over and over and over again. And I just couldn't believe that we're living in this day and age where... We are so tied to this world. And now this is what my point. I feel like social media collects and gathers us around the extrinsic pole. We're, we're constantly uh, trying to be attracted to prestige and status and, and fame and wealth where everybody's a grifter, everybody's hustling, everybody's trying to get subscribers and followers, everybody's trying to be an influencer, everybody's trying to exploit uh, anything that's going on in the world to like uh, up their profile. They're online, people are rude, they're aggressive, they're dismissive. There's little cooperation for community or anybody having like a conversation, uh, whatever. And what does it do? It, per, it, it um, produces, you know, frustration and dissatisfaction and stress and anxiety and anger and compulsive behavior, all of these things that this article is talking about. And I thought, what's it all about? What is it all about? This life and the way we're living it and the way we're going to die. It's all tied together. And what is it all about? I, uh, I feel like my vantage point in this life as, a, as an artist, which is to me different than being creative, um, provides a, a unique perspective, I guess, for, for myself. Um, I remember if, if you've ever broken a bone or needed stitches or just you know, really walped yourself and got this huge bruise. Um, 
and you go to your, you know, you're hurting, obviously, and you go to your friends or your family or work or school or whatever, and you're just like, look, and you hold out your arm and there's this huge bruise or there's this cast or stitches or whatever. People would be like, oh my God, oh, that looks so painful. Oh yeah, you're okay. Are you, how are you? Oh, you know, and you get empathy. People feel compassion for you and you get attention. That's what you want. And I remember years ago thinking, what about all that hurt? Um, hurting mentally, hurting your heart, hurting whatever. All kinds of hurt that we go through and we suffer and experience. And we have nothing to show for it. And so I sat down and I wrote this song called Sometimes. And uh, uh, the, the started off, you know, when the absence of the bruise undermines the pain, you long for a purple welt to grace your skin again. And I remember there was a line in there. I think I'm going to find this song and play it. But there was a line in there about you miss the intensity, you know, when you used to feel crazy because, uh, you know, uh, at least at least in all of that intensity of the emotion, at least you felt alive. You know, there was there was that. And uh, I wrote, so I wrote this song and I remember doing it and playing it in a concert somewhere years ago. I don't even remember what city that was. And everybody's, you know, having a good time. And there's this gentleman who was sitting down in the front. At some point he showed up and I just, he was sitting on the floor actually down by the front and he was super emotional that whole night. And he waited till the concert was over. Everybody left and I was just left packing up my stuff. That's the beautiful thing about being an independent, I say beautiful, like it's uh, the irony or the, the frustration. <laughs> The, the challenges of being an independent musician, you show up way in advance to load your own gear in and set it all up and do your own sound check. And then you get ready and everybody shows up and you do your show. And then as soon as your show's done, you go stand back by your merch table so you can sell everybody your CDs and your t-shirts and everything else. And you stick around there because that's your livelihood until literally everybody's left the venue. And then you get to go back up on stage and start tearing down and packing everything up and load it out to your vehicle and go home. So you were there so long. So that was where I was at at that night. And he stuck around until everybody left. And I'm just up on the stage by myself, wrapping my cables and put my guitar away. And he comes up and he says, you know, I just found out my wife uh, is leaving me. And I left my house. I was super, I was in a very dangerous mental state of mind. I was going to hurt myself or worse. And I heard the music. I came in. The first song I came in, basically, you start singing this line. And he, he names that line, you know, when the absence of the bruise undermines the pain, you've got nothing to show for it. And he's like, I believe that the universe uh, gave you that song to write that song so that you'd be singing it here for me tonight. I thought that was really so beautiful that somebody would so personalize art and music, which is actually what I think art is all about and poetry is all about. It is that... Um, for a lot of people, when life's going great, it's like, oh, yeah, just music and art. It's just like window dressing and it's just icing on the cake. You know, it's not the real stuff of life. And then it's when the real stuff of life hits and you're at your weakest and your lowest and your most depressed and discouraged and angry and lost and confused and wondering what is it all about. That's where you look for a song or a poem or a story or something to help you make sense of that moment. And so I was, I, I, I'd love to play this song for you. That's where this song comes from. It's called Sometimes. Let's take three minutes out of our life and listen to a song that comes out of that place. 
When the absence of the bruise Undermines the pain You long for your purple wealth regret live like you mean it like you matter like the things you want to do matter because it definitely doesn't matter what other people think about how you're living or what you're doing or not doing i know i've talked about this before but no one cares and and i mean that in the awesome way like at first it seems depressing like oh no one cares and the world can feel cold and indifferent. But if you're actually present in that moment, you realize, whoa, no one cares. No one cares. Oh my God, no one cares. I can be who I want to be. I can wear what I want to wear and listen to what I want to listen to. I can dream the dreams that inspire me and sing and dance and prance around like a little cute little show pony or a wild stallion or whoever the freak you are. No one cares. Your colors, your sounds, your light, your music. That's what this world needs. That's what it's all about. Find a way to do that, that, that makes sense for you, that turns on the lights for you. Right? I'm in. I'm in. As long as I'm here, I'm in, you know? Because... Being creative is a mindset, right? It's a lifestyle. It's not BS. <laughs> it's a lifestyle that produces energy and empowers resiliency. So if you ever find yourself <laughs> with a breathing tube, whatever that stupid thing was, jammed down my, up my nose and down my throat and into my stomach and, and, doctors hovering around and everybody trying to save your life. That creative energy that I've lived life with 
that really is in touch with who I am and what I'm all about. Um, yeah, man, it, it empowers the resiliency to get through even those kind of moments. And the subsequent ones, you know, the confidence to face the challenges that life throws at us. And it's that process that creates momentum. It's that momentum that I hope I get to share through these episodes. You know, I, I have to say, if my own um, view and opinion of myself as I walk through that, um, those dark kind of days, you know, I remember being so grateful and thankful for every nurse and every doctor, for every kind word, for every bit of information, anytime anybody would pause and make my life even slightly better. I'm, I gave uh, thanks in every moment for that. And uh, when it was that Wednesday morning to check out, I texted my partner and said, hey, could you bring, bring, a, bring a copy of my book? You know, Four Homeless Millionaires. How one family found riches by leaving everything behind. Because that story for me, sitting down and writing that story about that year, was all about, hey, I just want to tell you a funny story. I just want to make you laugh. And so I wrote that at the front of the book and left it at the nurse's station. I was just like, you know, you brought me some comfort in my darkest days. And if you have a, a quiet moment, I don't know if you ever do, on a nurse, uh, on a on an overnight or something in this day and age with our medical system the way it is. But uh, if you ever have a moment and a break and you want to just pop open a, a book to any page and hopefully chuckle or laugh or whatever, um, I would hope that, that it, it would provide that for you. And uh, that's kind of what I hope for these episodes. You know, I'm still trying to figure it out. I wanted to make you all laugh. And then I just started talking and started crying and, and, and I don't care about that either. I'm never embarrassed about that. A few years ago, my son and I, we applied for the um, the Amazing Race Canada. And um, we met the two producers in a hotel room, part of the casting process. And I started following them online, still do. Um, and years ago, this is like, so I, I don't know these guys, really. <laughs> um, I know who they are. And uh, I, I love the things that they do. But this one, one of the producers, he said somewhere, he was like, you know, it was like, it was just a thing that posted on Instagram, I think. And he was like, you know, that, that expression, I'm not crying, you're crying. And he was like, friggin' cry. Cry already. Own your emotions. Own your human experience. And I guess that's maybe what I think it's all about. Own this human experience, wherever you happen to be. You're allowed to scream and yell at the moon you're allowed to lay under the stars and be you know have no words you're allowed to sit in silence with your best friend you're allowed to uh yeah to be wherever you're at going through whatever you're going through as best you can be patient with yourself be kind <laughs> own all of your emotions <laughs> go be brilliant um in all that you do which really just means uh, be yourself. And until next time, I'm just going to be over here bawling my eyes out. <laughs> until next time. <laughs>